For a top business school, does the GRE or the GMAT put you in a better position to get in? We asked Amy Mitson, the Director of Admissions at Tuck Business School, about this and all things coronavirus. In this conversation, we talk about how Tuck is adapting both its curriculum, its career services, and ultimately even its admissions process in light of coronavirus. There are lots of changes happening and it presents opportunities for you if you're thinking about applying or if you've already been admitted and are deciding whether or not to go to business school right now. Let's dive in. Amy, we're really excited to have you to hear a little bit about what's happening at Tuck at the moment. And also just to, for our audience, share a little bit about the value of business school and some of the opportunities, especially if they're maybe interested in consulting, definitely interested in consulting or something somewhere in between. So we're looking forward to this conversation. Can you just give us a little background on yourself, how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I have been at Tuck for 20 years. Um, I, I can't believe it has been that long. Uh, and I've tried to leave several times, but there's always another great opportunity. So I'm not sure I'm ever going to go anywhere else. Um, I am originally from Rhode Island. I went to school in DC for my undergrad and then was heading back to New England for other professional opportunities, uh, and ended up um, learning about an opportunity at Dartmouth through a friend of mine. And so went up to Dartmouth to look at a particular job opportunity. And I walked into the office of a woman there and, and she said, Oh, we, we gave that job away. Why don't you go talk to my friend Liz at Tuck? And so I said, sounds great. And I backed out of her office because I didn't know what a Tuck was or where it was, but I did have a campus map in my bag. Cause at that point in time, you might've had a physical map and I walked into Tuck and it was a big giant welcome. And I was there at the perfect time. I had several conversations and started my career there working with one of our deans um, on what is now called the first year project. Uh, and then also took on several roles in what is now called our MBA program office, which is kind of Tuck's one-stop shop for student services had a pause in time where I thought, okay, I've reached the top of my opportunities here. I need to leave Hanover and go somewhere else and was referred to the admissions team because there was a great opportunity in admissions. And I have been doing work with the admissions team for the last 10 years, which has been phenomenal. So I feel very lucky to be in the position that I am and have continued to be able to grow and learn as a professional at Tuck um, and just had the benefit of working with so many amazing people. I see that times 10 with the exposure that our students have to working closely with really amazing people. So um, it's, it's just been a great place to be. Um, again, the time has passed really quickly. While, you know, some of my friends will say to me, what are, what are you still doing there? Like, why are you in the woods? Doesn't the academic calendar get boring? And it couldn't be further from the reality of, of what I have in Hanover in that every year a new group of students will come to complement the year of students that are already there. And then when those students graduate, they become alumni who continue to engage with Tuck because it holds such a special place in their heart and the experience is one that is very unique to experiences they've had before because in particular the size and the location of the program, but also because of, you know, how all in they are and fully immersed they are in the MBA opportunity and 
it is a very close community um, and the, the size of the program and the, the focus of it definitely have a unique impact on the MBA at Tuck. I can talk all about that, um, but that's a little bit about my background. There is a, you know, I feel like sometimes I live my life as a student. I think I've learned um, a new skill every year, if not every term, um, and have had the chance to just connect with amazing alumni, speakers, anyone who comes through the halls of Tuck and or Dartmouth, I've had the opportunity to learn from. So it's just a very vibrant environment. And I'm so, so happy to, to still be there um, and to be able to, to tell your audience everything that they want to know about what the place is like, what the admissions process is like, anything that is, um, that is on your mind, on their minds. I'm, I'm happy to be a resource. Great. Well, one of the things that we're getting a lot of questions about, which I know is not normally in your purview, but I also understand that Tuck is quite a close-knit environment, is around recruiting trends. What do you think that the incoming class can expect in terms of recruiting? And the current resident class, how are they being impacted by some of the challenges or opportunities that you're seeing in recruiting right now? Yes. And while career services is a, a team that I work closely with, I'm, I'm not the director of career services, but the benefit of being at a place like Tuck is just great communication, small community where, you know, we've all been in communication, um, you know, to, to have all the, you know, to know exactly what's going on right now. And so one, I would say, you know, in, in our past history, and it still holds true now, because of the small class size at Tuck, we know absolutely every student who is in the community and what they're looking for. So the career services team not only pulls that out of the students to find out what they're interested in, but the current student community is very close. And if you have a peer who knows what you're looking for, it's almost like that becomes a a mission of theirs to help you with your job search, just as you all work closely together in the MBA program. Right now, um, there are many, many positive things going on. And as we got the report from our career services director, he, you know, shares something with um, the other directors at Tuck every Friday, as well as with the students. So it's very transparent about what's going on right now in that students are still um, getting job offers, even in a time of, you know, uncertainty right now. So just this week, uh, first year students, there were 11 new um, internships offered to first year students. So we're on our way to, um, you know, we have strong employment statistics at Tuck. So 100% of our students head into summer internships, and we usually have about a 96% placement rate upon graduation. Um, So in that close community where Everyone knows, you know, did you receive the offer you were looking for? Are you still looking? What kind of help do you need? All of that is front and center. Again, sometimes with the student themselves pushing forward, or sometimes it's a pull from the career services team to find out more information. But there's a lot of communication there. Um, While, yes, there are definitely companies and the audience may be aware of the changes some companies have had to make because of how tumultuous the environment is right now, but hiring is still going on. Students still have their placements for the summer. There are some students who the placement opportunity has changed, and so they're doing different project work. The career services team continues to source project work and other opportunities with the focus on 100% of our student body will have um, an internship experience this summer. And we do, if we take it week by week, this week last year versus this week this year, um, 
the number of internship opportunities, the number of new postings is very, very similar for um, the summer internship. Um, and there are still full-time postings as well. So we, there is a, there is a lot of hopeful things going on out there in the market. Um, it, but then some people do have to be flexible because companies will be making changes, but, um, but we're, we're lucky to have a lot of communication with the career services team. And also the career services piece of the MBA experience at Tuck is not just the career services directors and team. It's also very much um, our faculty, any staff member at Tuck, and the alumni community is incredibly engaged with a student's job search. So you student, potential students out there don't just have one resource, it's multi-layered. And I could go on and on about many specifics about the the help around career services. And, you know, thinking about consulting, of course, you know, 30% of the top class typically goes into consulting. We have incredible relationships with the top consulting companies. Um, MBB is a place where students want to go, but there are many other consulting companies where students have incredible opportunities um, to switch into consulting, um, to gain the skill set needed to be successful in that area. Um, and there, there is just a, you know, um, a lot of positives around job searching and recruitment at Tuck. And another positive from the career services team is that companies are engaging very heavily and still signing up to be, you know, recruiting in the fall. Like, are, when are you coming back to campus or engaging with our students if you can't come back to campus? So those conversations are happening throughout and those relationships are very much alive. Okay, amazing. Well, let's focus a little bit on admissions. I know that's okay. your primary focus area. <laughs> yes. But I also know that right now the admissions landscape is, is in a bit of flux too. So new people thinking about coming to school, some that have some top of mind questions as well as admitted students or people that are thinking about it in terms of is now the right time. Can you address what you're seeing if you're changing the priorities of what you would look for in the moment or how you're expecting to handle some of those changes that are happening in the admissions? Thank you. Um, so this year for, um, we, so we have three rounds, um, or at the start of the year, this year, we had three admissions rounds, but we created a round four, um, which this is a, a special opportunity and probably a, a one-time thing, but we created a round four because students who were initially, you know, focusing on round or app applicants initially focused on round three, their plans may have been a bit derailed because of the pandemic and because of testing centers being closed. And so there's been a period of time before students, some students were able to take in-home GMAT or GREs. And so we created a, a round four, which um, is very uh, different for us in that applications are being accepted April 1 through June 1, and responses will be received on a rolling basis, which is very different from our earlier round. So it is a wonderful time to continue to pursue the opportunity for the MBA because there is, you know, I know I rattled off uh, some brief updates from the career services side, but the opportunity is very much alive and I can't think of a better, a better place to be, you know, so we have just admitted um, and enrolled many, many students for a round two deadline. So I've had numerous conversations with now enrolled students who there's a little bit of trepidation of the unknown when exactly, how exactly will school start. But the bottom line is people are incredibly enthusiastic for the opportunity, 
no matter whether starting virtually, starting on campus, whatever the case may be, it's something y'all are going to have to figure out. And we are going to work with our admitted students to do so. But it's, you know, I, I think if I was in the shoes of an admitted student now as to whether or not to enroll, I don't, I don't want to delay, you know, we're not going to get more time in life. And so if my plan is to pursue the MBA now, and there's a chance that I can do it, you know, don't waste that precious time, whether you're going to start a little bit virtual, whether you're going to be in the classroom right away, you are going to have a very similar level of engagement with faculty and fellow students. Um, and be approaching the same topics in the same rigorous way to build the toolkit that you want to get upon graduation. And I can go into the specific ways that people are connecting now, um, you know, virtually, if you want me to do that, I'm, I'm happy to do so. But I think that if you're, if your focus is on the MBA, do not change your plans, um, if, if you can possibly stay on track to do it. I love that we were agile enough to create a round four. So if plans did get interrupted for round three test taking or getting recommendations or whatever it was because of so many disruptions, you still have that opportunity now. There are seats in the class. They haven't all been given away. Sometimes students who are applying in later rounds will say, well, are there any seats left? Yeah. We could not in good conscience have a round four if there were no seats to offer. So um, we are ready for you. And in, you know, getting back to the actual question that Jenny Ray started to ask me, um, we're not looking for different things, you know? So we have a, we start the beginning of the application cycle and have criteria that we are evaluating applicants. So at Tuck, it is four things. We look for, we, we evaluate students around four criteria, smart, accomplished, aware, and nice. So four simple words, um, I encourage um, anyone on, on this call to take a look at what we mean by that, and I'm happy to share all that information with you, but looking behind those simple words, that's how we have evaluated applicants in round one and round two, round three, and in round four. So we are looking for the same things. We haven't waived any requirements um, that wouldn't, we don't see that that would be quite fair in ways because we already have a piece of the admitted class and they've been evaluated in one way and we will be consistent in our evaluation of future applicants for this year. But the four simple criteria, um, you know, I, I love it because it's easy to digest and understand what we are looking for. And so in thinking about the criteria, the evaluation of your candidacy around smart, accomplished, aware, and nice, those four different areas mapped to different parts of the application process. And I'm happy to talk about any specifics around that. I'm really interested in understanding how you evaluate NICE. I think that's <laughs> one of the things in particular that really stands out to me because it's uh, it's it's not necessarily, as, as some of the others are also subjective, but maybe feel like they have more of a kind of a cultural awareness that is global, but niceness is a little different. How do you evaluate that? Yeah. Yeah. So in, um, so with nice, you know, nice doesn't mean being a pushover, right? Nice means being able to engage in a community. Nice means, um, showing that capacity to put someone else before yourself. Um, you know, nice, we think about it a lot in terms of our community and, 
you, as an applicant, you can demonstrate that in your application through uh, your presence in an interview. Um, we will see it in your recommendation forms. Your recommender may not use the word nice, but by the recommender sharing something about you that shows how you have gone out of your way for others, how you've contributed to a team, how you've helped advance a mission or a process, like that shows an engagement um, that is that translates to a niceness when you're working with fellow MBA students in our MBA community. Um, so we definitely we ask um, you know an essay question specifically about that. How have you engaged? in your community? When have you um, done something for someone else when it might not have been uh, convenient or easy for you? And so think we, we evaluate it in that way. Um, so I, I see it shine through in many different areas of the application. Many times it's the interview, the direct question in the essay, and many times the recommendations, which applicants, you don't, you don't even know the wonderful things that your recommenders, I'm sure you have a good idea, but the wonderful things that recommenders share about all of you is valuable to us and does reflect a lot of that niceness, the ability to contribute in the communities you've chosen to engage with. Can I follow on with one more question about that, about choosing who to recommend you? I know there are standard things. It should be somebody that knows you. It should be somebody who generally <laughs> likes and appreciates you. But, but what's the special sauce? If I'm thinking about somebody that really would write a compelling recommendation. What holds the most weight with mm -hmm. the admissions so committee? We, um, we want to see someone who has supervised your work professionally without a doubt. So, I mean, in our application, um, you know, the, the guidelines about the application, we do ask for that. Um, and the, the secret sauce there is that your recommender would provide some specifics to us, not just Jenny Ray is fabulous and I have loved working with her, but Jenny Ray has done these specific things that have advanced our mission as a team or has shown success in these specific ways or um, also sharing some of the things that the, that you as the applicant have done that, um, you know, mistakes you have learned from that knocks it out of the park in a lot of ways when the recommender is able to share something specific about an area of growth that you have. No one, do not be fooled audience, no one who comes into an MBA program is perfect. No one. Um, and so that's what makes you interesting. And so being able to, you know, you have a conversation with your, as Jenny Ray pointed out, you have a conversation with your recommender before you ask them and say, hey, you know, can you provide this information for me? Can you write a positive recommendation? And it's okay that they share something that was maybe a mistake you made or an area for growth. Um, so. Okay, awesome. Now, next question is, let's assume that somebody isn't sure about this year being the right year or does have more work to do and doesn't feel like they can get it done before the deadline, but maybe they're thinking about next year. What should be their strategy on investing in themselves right now? Mm -hmm. So for anyone applying you know, in our round four or thinking about next year, investing in yourself, uh, there, there are two things that come to mind. Uh, one is time. So we're all busy, time is hard to come by, but making the investment in the application process and spending some time getting to know Tuck. Right now, um, in this virtual world that we are thriving in, um, you can attend a virtual event. We have a whole calendar full of events in May. 
that's one way to invest some, you know, spend that time investing the time to get to know the program better through an event, um, either while you're applying or before you apply. Also, we have um, just a Tuck Ambassadors page where you can see beautiful little tiles of our current students and click on any of them and they are there for you to connect with. And so that is, again, it's an investment of time, but it's a really good one because it's going to help you as the applicant evaluate a little bit of your fit for the program. And I think that's one of the, that can be a hard thing to do um, from afar. If you can't get to campus um, before you're admitted to a program, connecting with the people at the program is one of the best investments that you can make um, as you go through this process. And pausing a little bit for reflection is another great investment. And, um, you know, taking a walk, thinking about why you want to do this, thinking about yourself and what you'll really get out of it, just that investment of putting that time aside. I know um, everyone who, you know, is, is listening here is busy, right? But making that investment is worth it because then it shows to me when I'm reading your application that you have thought about the questions, you have thought about yourself in comparison to others in the community, you have thought about what we have to offer and you really want to engage with that and that's why you've jumped into the application process. Um, so investing in getting to know the program, you can do that pretty readily right now through virtual events. Um, investing in, again, in the time that it takes to think about the aspects of the application, the test scores, the GMAT or the GRE, that is, a, that is an item in the application that you're probably aware of. Um, and I know right now it can be tough for testing. So the in-home test could provide a setting that agrees with you um, or not. Maybe you decide to wait and apply in the fall because you're, you're hopeful to be in a testing center and, and be taking a test under um, a different set of circumstances. But th those are a few things, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that covers it. So I'll pause there. Sorry, Jenny Ray. No, that's great. Amy, I have a question. Uh, um, have you ever heard of likability training? Likability training? Well, I likability training, not specifically. It's one of the things that we've come across in our corporate training efforts. Somebody recommended it, that they said that they went through it and found it really valuable. I'm just wondering if people that get a low nice score should think about going the, through the likability training. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I think, uh, that, that's a, that is a really good one. Um, I'm, I'm teasing, but yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's a, a unique, uh, unique investment. Sure. Training for everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think anyone who's applying should, uh, should have a long, uh, heart to heart with their best friend and then they can find out maybe, do they need to really go to the likability training or not? <laughs> that would be good. Awesome. Okay. So I have another question that, and this is a little bit more, this is related to admissions, but also consulting the overlap of the two. So would you mind, I'm sorry, would you mind repeating? Not at all. T 
Chuck is known as a powerhouse for consulting. We've actually had other programs at other schools that we uh, that we uh, teach at or, or coach with say, what is it up there that they do related to consulting? Why are they, they so good at training people, preparing people for consulting? And I know part of that starts with admissions. But here's my question. Uh, because it's known as such a powerhouse for consulting, is it good for students to declare an interest in entering consulting because it is clearly one of the, the optional pathways that make a lot of sense at Tech? Or is it not unique enough because of the fact that you're also looking simultaneously for a diverse student body? If somebody has the choice and some conviction one way or the other, what do they share in terms of their intention with you? Mm-hmm. Um, Like the house I grew up in, uh, honesty is the best policy, right? So um, I am, our admissions committee is not trying to screen people out because of a certain um, industry job interest. As someone who's been in admissions for a long time, I also know that the desire, the stated goals that someone shares with me in their application isn't always going to be the thing they decide to do after they walk across the stage at graduation. So you, dear applicants, are still unique, even if you perceive that you are focused on something that everybody else is focused on. Um, And I say this because if I was looking at a pool of only applicants who were coming from consulting and going into consulting or just thinking about consulting, you have a whole um, life's work in a lot of ways before you get to your first job. So you have many life experiences to share. You have interests outside of work. You are a unique individual that, that communicates your desires and life experiences in a way that only you can. Um, so there is just an inherent uniqueness when you're applying to an MBA program because everyone is an individual. So I, I, I challenge that and thinking the audience. So many of if, if, if your audience here are many consultants, they probably also work with many consultants and think about your last project group. And while you were all focused on achieving something for the client, think of the unique, um, skill sets around the table and the mindset and the personal background of everyone in that project team, even though you were marching toward the same goal. So just extrapolate from that if, uh, if you can, that you will still be unique, even if you say you're, you know, you want to go into consulting. And the last 50 files I read that they also said they wanted to go in consulting. I say to that, fabulous. We are strong in consulting and I know that I can help you with that. And I know that the career services team can help you with that. So I feel a lot of confidence when someone tells me that they want to go into consulting. Um, Also, there will be a whole host of applicants who say they want to do something else and then their head might be turned toward consulting. And so that's okay too. So you can say one thing in your application and then you can change your mind which is fine because you go into the MBA program and you're with an incredible group of people who have diverse interests and again, may turn your head to something you didn't know about. So that's what I have to say about 
some of that, but I'm happy to answer more if I missed anything. Well, you talked a little bit about what career services do in general, the the tight network, this amazing transparency metric space. Can you speak specifically to some of the firms you mentioned, the MBB firms, but also a lot of other firms that recruit on campus and just what, what career services does to support students that are interested in going into consulting? Yes. So, um, the very first thing that the career services team does is take a look at every single enrolled student who's go- going to be joining us in the fall. Um, they divide those students amongst all the career coaches. So we have full-time career coaches at Tuck. And step one is that career coach is going to reach out to the enrolled student who's joining the class to say, let's have a first meeting. So you have that first meeting with your career coach and you talk about your resume, you talk about you know, what, what were your stated goals in your application? Have you changed your mind? So very early on, actually during the orientation program at Tuck um, in August, before your classes start, you will have that conversation with the career services team. So they understand what it is that you're looking for at this point in time and how they can help guide you there. From there, they will tell you about, okay, if it is consulting, what are the, what is the fall look like for the opportunities? Okay, what consulting companies are coming to campus? How do these consulting companies recruit? How are you best set to connect with them? The other layer is we have many alums who are head recruiters at their consulting firms. So those alumni will be coming to campus. So as a, as a new student, you will have formal and informal ways to engage around your career conversation informal, you show up, you know, straight from class, or you're having a phone call or a video chat with one of the career services members, then maybe you're having a conversation with an alum who's at the company you're interested in, then maybe it's more of a, you know, a panel session with a company that will be doing um, specific recruiting um, at Tuck in the winter. And so you are taken down kind of a well-worn doesn't sound like the right phrase, but it's a, you're taking down a successful path and the career services team will help outline those steps for you. In addition to everything else that I mentioned, there's a whole alumni database that is available to you and you can connect with any single um, one of our alums who are in the area of consulting that you're interested in. We also have research centers and initiatives at Tuck and faculty who are happy to talk to you about their past careers in consulting or some of the speakers that they're bringing to campus. So I could even go on, but that's the beginning. It's, a, you know, and you can have as many or as few meetings with the career services team as you need to until you get your, you know, your dream job. And the career services team will not only help you with the resume, with the, you know, the, the consulting club does a ton with case workshops. And like the second year is like working night and day to help you understand what the recruiting process is like. It's like you have a secret weapon there in so many ways. So really numerous resources that will help you get on a successful path toward what your um, career goals are. It's, it's, it's a top priority of our program. This question is a little bit of a mashup of a fun one. So a lot of the people that are in our community are normally fabulous. I would call them, you know, right down the middle. Okay, so great jobs, great undergrad, just kind of the classic, like you would expect this person to 
succeed in life. And then there are a lot of other people who are abnormally fabulous, who have something that's really exceptional or more of a winding path. And I don't know if you can share a story either from this year or whenever you're able to share it from, from admitted students of somebody who's in the second group, the kind of abnormally fabulous uh, candidate, somebody who uh, maybe has an unusual story, not the, the like they check all the boxes in all of the normal ways, but they check all of the tuck boxes when you take a look at their application. Sure. Um, so I think, uh, you know, wow, I could tell a lot of stories, but um, the abnormally fabulous, like I think of the, um, you know, the music major who was in the arts and an opera singer and then came to tuck and decided they wanted to head into investment banking. You know, um, the student who, you know, their entire career had been in the military and they learned about the MBA, decided to come into the MBA program um, and really wanted to go into consulting so they could learn about industry and apply their strong leadership skills that they gained in the military to then take into consulting. And that abnormally fabulous um, person like their you know, I think about many of our students who are coming from the military and that they, um, you know, they, their big concern is how do I translate, you know, what I've done so someone in consulting can hear me, you know? So the first piece of translation they do is in the application process, you know, and there is a, an incredible amount of experience, industry experience, life experience, on our admissions committee and that we've seen fa the fabulous and the abnormally fabulous um, as we've gone through many an admissions committee. And because it is such a holistic process where we are looking at the smart, accomplished, aware, and nice, we're not looking at one dimension, you know, one fabulous dimension of someone. We are, we are seeing them across a whole range of things. Um, you know, I think of, um, you know, in particular, some women who have come into the MBA and have had their families prior to coming into the MBA and wondering, you know, can I head into my second career from here? And is that going to work? And will I be supported? And so, um, you know, that those are those are some of the things I, I think about when you say abnormally fabulous, but I can think of so many career switchers, um, you know, abnormally fabulous uh, championship uh, international skier who then worked as a nuclear engineer who then heard about the MBA from someone, explored it, realized this was her next step and then went into finance, you know? And so it's the, the fit for the MBA. You, any applicant out there just have to have the thought that this is something that you want to do and the skill set that you gain in particular at a program like Tuck, where it's a general management program, you are not only going to be prepared for the career move after the MBA, but the abnormally fabulous Jenny Ray that I hear about the alums who have made two and three career switches. And it's only been possible because of the broad skill set and just a lot of that teamwork and professional personal development that you get in the MBA help them continue their abnormally fabulous path. Thank you, Amy. That's amazing. We'll turn it over to the rest of the folks that are in the group. And Naman, I'll ask you to help moderate for this. Awesome. Well, we've got a, a couple of questions here. Uh, let's start out with, with this one from uh, Shakita. She's wondering, uh, I'll direct this to Amy first. 
Um, what about people who have their own business and have not worked for a company for numerous years? What would you recommend as far as their application goes? How do they stand out? Great question. Um, the uniqueness of someone who has run their own business um, is absolutely welcome. Uh, we also, there for someone who has had that experience with entrepreneurship, you have an incredible amount to add to the classroom environment and to your peer group at Tuck because you will have people in the class who are hoping to partner with you on project work to pick your brain about what worked and what didn't. You'll have your perspective is incredibly sought after in the MBA um, environment for sure. Uh, many times students who have run their own businesses prior to coming to the MBA are thinking about, okay, who do I get for a recommender? Um, you don't have to overthink that too much. I would say if you're, um, you know, just if you are working with family in your business, just, you know, don't, don't use family as recommend recommenders because, you know, it's probably hard for them not to be, uh, hard for them to be unbiased. But I would say a supplier or a professional mentor or someone who serves on your board, these, these types of things, you, um, you can be creative and you don't, really, you don't have to do a lot of explaining. You know, um, we understand that as an entrepreneur, you're coming from um, a different structure than someone who's worked for an established company. Your perspective and your skill set and that trial and error of lessons learned, I bet you have a ton to talk about. So that's something, uh, that's a story I would look forward to reading for sure. Amazing. And I'll just tag in for that. We see a lot of resumes for people. And of course, we edit a lot for folks that are going into consulting, but uh, many of them use them for dual purposes. Some of them are going into the MBA. And we often see some uh, I would say too much emphasis on either the I, the actions that you specifically took and not enough context around what's happened in the business or too much of the we without enough of the I. So too much like we did this and we did that without really illuminating what that looks like. Uh, and so we've, uh, as we've teased out people's stories, we often find that their impact as a business is bigger than just the actions they individually took. It's like uh, Amy mentioned, the suppliers that they worked with, the customers that they worked for. And sometimes those brands uh, help add gravitas to the story. So I would just include some things like that that would really make, uh, make somebody really quickly understand the importance of what you've done in a quick, vivid snapshot. Agree. Fantastic. Here's one I'm sure a lot of folks have. Uh, Amy, does the admissions team have any test preference uh, when it comes to GMAT versus GRE? We do not. We, um, and, and you know, I, I say that very honestly, um, probably four or five years ago when we first started looking at G when many more schools were accepting the GRE, I think we did have a slight preference for the GMAT only because we were more comfortable with it. It didn't mean that student had less of an opportunity um, to be admitted. But I would say with 100% certainty, because we are so familiar, we have been looking at both tests um, for a long time, like there is no preference. I want you to submit the score, uh, the test where, where you can submit the strongest score. So don't have a preference. Sometimes uh, applicants have submitted both tests because um, they took one, they didn't really love it, and then they tried another one and they did a little bit better. So absolutely up to you as the applicant um, without judgment from, from me. Awesome. Setting the record straight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Next question here. We've had a couple folks ask about scholarships and financial yeah. aid. So I popped the link to that page on Tuck's website into the chat bar, but is there still financial aid 
available for folks who are applying before June 1st. Thank you. Um, yes. So, so financial aid is, is, you know, loans and scholarships. So loans, um, easier to come by than scholarship in, in any round. Um, because round four is a new round for us. Um, the scholarship dollars that will be awarded in round four will only be able to be awarded if, um, if they become available because uh, students, uh, admitted students in prior rounds have walked away from that funding, um, which, is, which is a very honest answer. And um, so the scholarship dollars will be very, um, I anticipate they'll be limited in round four but it is an unknown because it's going to be, or, you know, it will depend upon yield from earlier scholarship offers that have been made. All of that said, um, the financial aid team, you don't have to wait to speak with them um, until you apply or are admitted. You can talk with them now. They're happy to chat about budgets, about what you can expect. And so um, there are resources available now to get your questions answered. So you don't have to, um, you don't have to wait to understand what it might look like if you're financing the MBA. Awesome. Uh, I hope uh, people take advantage of that. Um, next question here. Uh, Jenny Ray, let's start with you. Uh, and Joe, um, there might be some more context required around this, so feel free to unmute yourself and, and, and add that. But um, he's wondering, you know, undergraduate finalists who are graduating this summer and, you know, they, they're weighing up two options, right? So they spend the next year either looking for short-term short -term work experience or go straight into a specialized master's program. Um, what would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being in school right now, for sure. I, I would say that in general, one of the things that we see is that people that have name brand work experience, the weight of that is higher than doing a specialized master's program. And Amy, I would be interested in hearing your perspective from the MBA position. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So so some of it comes down to an option set that it's a little hard to know without uh, making an individual recommendation. But basically, if you think you could get a weighty name brand experience in tech or somewhere else that's somewhat analytical in the next year and that kind of job would excite you, then I think bypass the specialized master's program because there will be some additional weight, great learnings, good mentorship, et cetera, that are available to you uh, if those doors aren't open to you or don't excite you, but you feel like a specialized master pathway would make more sense, then that's what I would recommend. Uh, Amy, do you want to weigh in on what you see? If, and if I would like to just choice. share, like the, the specialized master's is very valuable for someone who knows that that is the career track that they want to be on long-term. The benefit of the MBA is that because you get, there's, there's more time there, there's an internship built in there, there's a broader skill set that that broader skill set allows you for those pivots that you might want three and four years outside of that master's work. And so specialized master's is great. Um, and, and again, sets you on a certain path. The, the, I guess I would say the optionality that you are, that you gain from a more broad MBA, um, can, can be really valuable for the following career moves. If you think maybe you'd want to broaden, you know, what you do professionally. Amy, can I ask you a question for that? What about both? So what about doing a specialized master's now, couple yep. years of work experience and MBA? How do you look at that? Yeah. I know it's, it's, I know it's new, so it yep. may be a new thing that's popping up. But yeah, what are you thinking about? 
I think that's a feather in the cap of the applicant. And it's also so and it's also on you as the applicant to share the story as to why that fits, because you don't want the admissions committee to think, okay, they're just collecting degrees here. And so, yeah, go get the specialized masters, then have your professional work experience. And then when that aha moment does come that you need that other skill set and you want to come to the MBA, that's a very compelling story to share with the admissions committee. But you want to make that case for, okay, you know, it's just, well, why, why would you like another master's share that story with me? And so that's something, um, you know, it can be very, very compelling, but it is on you as the applicant to share really why, why, why do you want to come back to school? Fantastic. Um, how about for someone who didn't major in business in their undergrad years, right? If, uh, if they had a, a STEM degree or a liberal arts background, will that hinder their chances of being admitted to an MBA program like Tuck? And how do they stand out if they have that kind of background? Yeah, that comes a little bit back to Jenny Ray's uh, fabulous and extra fabulous or ultra fabulous question. Um, the, the more backgrounds, the merrier, the broader the conversation is able to be in the MBA classroom. You are welcome to approach the MBA from, from the liberal arts, from the more um, specialized or engineering background or, or whatever the case may be. Many students do come from a business background, but just as many don't, and you will be as successful as the other in the MBA program. But your unique perspective and background is absolutely welcome. If you look at the class profile, you'll see the different industries and academic backgrounds that people are coming from, and it's very broad. Um, and that should you know, excite you as well, thinking about you're gonna be in the classroom with people um, with very different skill sets and academic backgrounds. So following along that, uh, same theme, just on um, now instead of how do I set myself apart for Tuck, you know, what sets Tuck apart? Um, how does Tuck commit itself to diversity and inclusion in the business world? Mm -hmm. um, so diversity is long been a focus of mine on the admissions committee specifically. Um, I am our board representative to the consortium. So the consortium um, for graduate studies and management is focused on increasing the number of underrepresented um, students in business. And so that is a unique application process. Um, there are 20 member schools in the consortium. Tuck is one of them. Um, but the focus is increasing representation in the MBA, which leads to increasing representation in business. Um, Tuck has, has been a member of the consortium for many years. Um, also Forte, which is an organization for women in the MBA, Ramba, which is the reaching out organization for LGBTQ students in the MBA. Tuck has long been a partner um, with these organizations to, you know, to share, you know, who we are and why um, we encourage diversity in the, in the applicant pool. Um, diversity and inclusion is something that not only are we interested in as an admissions committee to then encourage the diversity in our classroom, uh, but it is absolutely something that our students continue the work of diversity and inclusion with uh, new positions on the student board, a focused DNI chair, um, students encouraging uh, what our students call controversial conversations. So it's, it's easy to talk about something you're, you have expertise in with a receptive audience, but what about talking about a topic that is very difficult to um, approach with an audience that has a very different point of view? So diversity of not only personal background, but 
the inclusiveness and the, the diversity of your perspective, no matter what your personal background is. Um, and, and, you know, overarching that Tuck is a small community. So, you know, we have 285 students in each class where the voice of every student is heard very loudly. And so no matter what your personal background, um, you will be welcomed at Tuck and it is an open community where um, every voice really is heard and, you know, students are showing that by the different clubs and student board positions and organizations that they have. But I think um, we lead that charge in a lot of ways in admissions with the groups that we partner with and, you know, with, you know, just the topics that, that you see um, covered in the application and the openness with which we receive applicants. So um, there, there are a lot of ways. Those are some of the first that come to my mind. Awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, next question. So, you know, Tuck is, is based in Hanover, New Hampshire, right? It's not a, a large urban area, right? What if I'm interested in, you know, being placed in the San Francisco or New York market, right? How does Tuck help me stand out or compete in those markets that also have other strong MBA programs? Sure. Um, well, so with 100% placement at Tuck um, and strong recruiting relationships, that's step one. Um, but our students are very well known for um, just their employers are seeking our students because of their reputation um, after they graduate and the contributions that they can make. So whether you are looking at something East Coast, West Coast, uh, something international, the reputation of Tuck precedes you. And there are a lot of open conversations and well-established um, relationships that will help you make that career transition no matter where you're headed from Hanover. Um, I would say the, once you start, um, kind of looking at the alums and the current students and where they are in the world, uh, you just see how, how broad it is. Um, you know, the, there, you know, and it's interesting to because, you know, it, it's not, Hanover is not a city. It's, it's, uh, it's a small town. And so that is absolutely something to think about if you're going to choose a place like Tuck. But the reputation of our students, our alumni, and our faculty are something that um, it will be a benefit to anyone who decides to come to Hanover and spend those two years. I also um, know from stories from our students and the career success they've had that when they go out from Hanover to connect with and visit these companies, um, they're, they stand out a little bit because they're not just right next door and employers will know how far you have physically traveled to get to where they are from Hanover because chances are high that there's someone at that large company that has also been to Hanover and knows what that trip is like because so many recruiters, um, there are just a lot of recruiters from the top companies that have been back and forth to Hanover and love making that trip when they can because of um, the beautiful spot in the universe that it is and how unique it is. So, um, you know, there, there is a, a lot of credit that you do get when, when you do travel, but you'll be um, met with open arms when you do is, is what I have to say to that. I can vouch for that. Hanover's gorgeous. <laughs> 
So yeah, um, just extending that question out a little bit, you know, how connected are tech alumni that are overseas, right? Um, so you, you talk a lot about nationwide recruiting. How does international recruiting work at tech? Sure. And so, you know, something else about the tech network, um, you know, don't mistake, mistake size for strength. And no matter where there is a tech alum, I have heard stories for the last 20 years about current students connecting with alums and reaching out to them out of the blue, whether, you know, no matter where they are in the world and kind of being greeted with an open door. And so that, that just speaks to the uniqueness of the tech experience and the, the tight knit community that you have as a student and then how that continues with you forever as an alum. Um, in addition to, so I'll just say as, you know, one example, um, so many years ago, uh, we formed uh, international MBA council groups. And so these are senior boards of um, international alums, and there are several different groups. So there's a European MBA council, um, an Asian uh, MBA Council and Latin American Council. And the focus of those senior alumni groups are to not only um, share with us, you know, how Tuck is being represented in their home country, but also be a resource to students who are looking for jobs um, in their industries or home countries. So it's an automatic pathway to senior international um, alumni at Tuck. Um, but I, I would say there are some pockets are larger than others. Um, I think about the receptions that I have received when in um, London and Paris, different areas in Germany. Um, I've done a lot of our travel in Beijing, Shanghai, Seoul, and Tokyo, um, Latin America as well. It's, it's been many years, um, but the reception from alumni is very strong and their desire to increase the, the alumni representation in their company is, sorry, in their country is also very strong. So um, I would say look into it, right? So I can help you do that. You can connect through our ambassador webpage. You test the alumni network of any school that you are interested in. And so I am happy to help you with that if you have um, specific questions around where are our alumni or in different industries. Um, one, they're everywhere, probably almost everywhere, and I can help you connect if um, that's your next step of research uh, around Tuck. Awesome. Uh, folks, I hope you'll take her up on that. Uh, Jenny Ray, I'm going to combine a couple of questions uh, and kind of package them as one for you. Um, we've got some undergrad seniors who are, right, things are uncertain right now. They're not exactly sure, right, where they're, what they're going to be doing this summer or this fall. Um, right? How can they be productive right now? How can they do something that's meaningful? How can they build skills? And how can they ultimately set themselves up to break into a top MBA program like Tuck? Awesome. Well, we are big believers at Management Consulted that opportunity is everywhere. And so we did a recent call and we're going to expand on it on Friday. Everybody's welcome to join for that. Uh, that was about the three kind of uh, ways that you could do internships or work experiences now. The first one is traditional. And like Amy mentioned, there are still companies that are hiring. They're not just hiring from tech, but they're hiring from people a lot of different places. And uh, the mix of who's hiring has changed a 
little bit, but there are companies that are hiring. So that would be for us, the number one recommendation is to continue to apply leveraging networks where you have them. And, um, and, and honestly, just some like dogged persistence will also be really beneficial there. Don't make the assumption that folks aren't hiring. It will probably be, uh, you might miss an opportunity if you do. The second one is what we call a DIY. And that's basically some form of entrepreneurship. Uh, not all entrepreneurs are paid. So some of you may uh, work or moonlight in a less than glorious job. I hear Walmart is hiring for a lot of associates and Instacart is a thing, but you might also be able to simultaneously build something at the same time. And that can be project-based or it can be something that's a little bit bigger. And so DIY is the second really great option. And it's basically kind of like mini to major entrepreneurship. And then the third and final option is engaging with folks that will give you a more curated experience that includes specialized master's programs, immersive experiences, as most of you know, we have the MC uh, summer internship that's starting next month. It's a virtual internship with coaching. So there are some opportunities that you have to build skills and experiences. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that on Friday. But I think the, the first thing that has to happen is that you have to know that it's possible and you have to be ready to go for it. Uh, and then, then there's a lot of uh, available resources, including our team, Naman, uh, we're, we're answering probably about half of our questions right now about that, right? About the, the who's hiring, where are they hiring, would they hire me, right? Uh, the answer to all of those is yes, yes, and yes. And so, um, but it, it does take a little bit of navigation. So now switching to the other end of the spectrum, right? We have an individual who's got 15 plus years of work experience, uh, and they're wondering if an EMBA is better suited for them as opposed to a one to two year full-time MBA program. Um, what are your thoughts? How about we start with Amy on this one? Yeah. So my thoughts on that um, are around your expectation for your next assignment and its salary. Very, very honestly, you know, you think about the the MBA salaries, um, and when and it's no secret when students are uh, you know graduating from MBA programs, you can see the average salary that they're making and. When employers are, you know, recruiters are connected with our school, they're they're looking to hire a certain level of associate. And it's where does your expectation align? And so if you're looking for like, you know, uh, a, a role that is not a post MBA role, something that is many years beyond that. So that's something for um, you to specifically think about. And just I, I think about how does the program you're going to enroll in, if it was an MBA program or an EMBA program, meet your expectation for career success upon graduation? I think that's a really great answer. I, I would just add to it that um, from a professional standpoint, the full-time MBA does have a little bit more gravitas but like Amy said, so I think from a long-term perspective, you have a little bit of a tighter network and more of, of a sense of being a part of a global community because of the pause that you put on your life, the very immersive experience that you go through. Um, and, and then, you know, but uh, as somebody who actually did my MBA a little bit older, I had different reasons for it. And I wasn't immediately pressured to go get a job. And I think I would have been dissatisfied, like Amy said, with a lot of the menu of what was out there. Um, so you just have to recognize that if you do a full-time MBA, you're probably in the DIY category of um, of either building something or really like um, working on networking in order to find the next role. However, there probably is a big dividend to it in the longer term, just maybe not right away and it's not that is easy right away 
Well, thank you everyone for joining. We hope that you really enjoyed this conversation, found it illuminating, tangible, actionable, and all the good things. Thank you for your great questions. And uh, it was really awesome to spend time with you, Amy. Thank you for your time. Well, so nice to work with you both and I'm happy to have these questions and, and feel free to send any others my way if I can be helpful. So thank you all very much. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Strategy Simplified is about making strategy and strategy roles more accessible to you. Find more at managementconsulted.com or email us team at managementconsulted.com. In addition, if you would like or love this podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you've got feedback on it, please send it. And if you have an idea for a great future guest, we would love to hear about it. Thanks again for joining.